Hey, this is Eugene Rapkin, and you're listening to the Style Zeitgeist Podcast. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. This is Eugene. And on this episode, I have not one but three guests, which I've never done before. So this should be fun. And not only that, all three are uh, talkative, opinionated, and uh, interesting in their views. And what we wanted to talk about are not only their their work, but also um, fashion journalism and fashion criticism at large. And all these guys are much younger than me, which I also think is cool because I'm very curious uh, about what this generation thinks of fashion because I'm feeling a little older these days. So I, <laughs> I have Luke, uh, we have Luke Marr from Hot Limote, which is a YouTube channel and an Instagram account with a vast following. Um, we have uh, Maria Bud, who is the digital fashion editor uh, or fashion editor at Paper Magazine. Um, and we have Jose Criales Unzueta, who has also his excellent Instagram um, account and writes for publications like ID, Them, uh, BOF, and others. Welcome, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Um, Look, so let's start with you. Uh, tell, tell the audience a bit about what you do. Um, so as you said, I run a YouTube and Instagram account called Hot Mode. I know that it's pronounced Oat Mode, but I just started saying Oat oh, Hot and it just sort of caught on. But essentially we cover a lot of uh, celebrity sort of fashion. So if you see certain big celebrities like Beyonce or Dua Lipa wearing something off the runway, we'll discuss it, talk about whether or not it looks good or looks bad. Um, and I think the thing that sort of draws people in with Hot Mode is it's usually not sugar-coated like a lot of fashion uh, writing these days. Not obviously the people in, in the in the pod, but um, you know, if somebody looks like shit, I'll more or less say that they look like shit, and that's sort of I think how <laughs> Hot Mode has evolved over time. But we do a lot of fashion show coverage. We do fashion history videos about the brands and certain collections throughout, you know, iconic eras and from iconic designers. So that's kind of. The gist. And you have at this point like almost like 700,000 on YouTube? Yeah, Enormous. on YouTube. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's getting big, which is so strange. Girl, it's, it's big. getting. No, I mean, you know, listen, when the other girls have like 35 mil on Instagram, you're like, who am I? Little, you know, small fish in the big pond. <laughs> Okay, but like none of them are doing what you're, what you're doing. doing so. Exactly. I know, but they still get all of the access that I deserve. So that's <laughs> look, I'm sure we'll have get that to conversation. That. Yeah, yeah we will. we'll have that combo. It's it's one needed to be had. You know, UAG is also like over two hundred thousand followers. That's no small potatoes. No, it's true, um, and the engagement's pretty good. Yeah, so that's an intriguing thing to yeah. see. I feel exactly. like we're all suffering from the same thing where it's always like could be bigger but then they think like we also have to be like but look at what we have it's a weird imposter syndrome i Mm -hmm. think where it's like 
where the girls know that we exist, like the brands, the other publications, the editors, the PRs, but it's, they're still kind of like, Mm, keeping you at arm's length. Oh, we're going to talk about that. Don't worry. (laughs) Don't you worry. We're going to talk about that. Uh, Because we know they know. Yeah, Mm -hmm. they have to know. Otherwise, they're doing a very bad job. Yeah. Um, Mario, uh, tell the audience a bit about yourself. Sure. Um, I'm the fashion editor at Paper. Um, Been here, it'll be three years this summer. Um, and I followed a more traditional media career path. Um, I did a lot of internships with magazines in college and was assisting for quite a, quite a bit, quite a few years, um, stylists and whatnot. Um, uh, so yeah, I like followed the, I guess, linear path to where I am now, I guess you would say, but I think, I guess what makes me different is I... I tend to be, you know, more opinionated or just voice like my thoughts a lot on social media. Um, and I think that's, you know, as an editor, you don't see that a lot. Um, so I've, I guess I've kind of like carved a space in that sense, just like for people with my background to like see, like I have like the traditional access. Um, but then I also like, in real time, just like give you the, <laughs> <give you> the <laughs> tea. <laughs> Which, like you said, is really, really rare, uh, rare in traditional fashion media because everything is so mediated. Um, uh, how do they let you get away with that? So I think, so I was talking to actually some people from BOF the other day and they were saying how like they would never be allowed to like have like to do what I do like on social media for example um they're just because they're so strict with their editors and like having like opinions online um and you know I I think I work somewhere so I work at an independent magazine and we don't have like the traditional advertising model where you know brands buy pages and then we're beholden to them. Most of our business is done with like special projects and like um, custom, like, you know, campaigns and social campaigns and stuff like that. So um, I've never been told like by higher ups to like, you know, um, like, like to be beholden to a brand or like to like, um, you know, be fearful, I guess, in that sense that I guess that's why I've had, you know, some, some sort of leeway in what I do. Um, and I think, you know, not, I think, I think if like every like PR and every brand like followed me and like, <laughs> I don't know, like what would happen. I think I'm still like my following is still relatively small to, to where, as I feel where I feel like, you know, free to like voice whatever I want. Um, but that said, like, I, there's still people like industry people like who follow me. Right. And they get what I do. They like what I do. Um, and like, so, you know, it's, it's, I guess we'll, we'll see, I guess the more people, the mm-hmm. bigger I get, whatever. Um, <laughs> we'll see what happens. Okay. The, Jose, how about yourself? Introduce yourself. Um, sure. So I, 
I'm actually not like an original, like an OG media girl. I'm actually a designer. I went to school for design. I went to school for ready to wear. Um, and I work as a handbag designer. That's the day job, if you may. But through Instagram, actually. And honestly, it's like people like Luke or Pamboy who opened this space for a lot of us girls that do this right now on social media. And, you know, I, I saw what they were doing and I was like, oh, I can do that too. And I, I have a, my own opinion too, right? Um, so I started doing a lot of like fashion criticism and a lot of writing and a lot of more than criticism, I want to say commentary on Instagram, just on collections, et cetera, but from a very specific design POV, mm-hmm. um, you know, talk about cut, talk about um, scene placements, all of those little things that, you know, I learned about when I was in school that I can talk through like, oh, this pattern is shitty, you know, or like this finishing is terrible or like <laughs> things you could fix because again, like that's how I was trained. Um, so that started sort of like a, as a very, you know, I was bored at work. I was like, this is, you know, my design career is not giving me what I thought it was going to give me. Um, you know, when you went, when you go to college for design, there's a lot of myth into what a career in design is going to look like. Mm-hmm. And that was definitely not the case for me. I work at a very big company. Um, so as much as it's fun and as much as I've learned, it that the creative experience was not what I expected. So I started Instagram just like as a way of finding something else to do something fun. Um, and at first it was just me and my girls, you know, kicking mm-hmm. with some of my friends from college and just again, like talking shit about collections or being like, oh, this is cool, whatever. Um, and that transitioned slowly into me wanting to write more. Um, so I started writing longer captions and I started doing like, breakdowns in stories of things that could be a piece or things that could be an article right um and then i started meeting people like mario mario was actually the first editor that uh gave me a space to write actually almost a year ago i want to say um and from there i started writing for more people like then i started writing for id i started writing for them i started writing for bof and it's all based again on this very specific design pov but also very I want to say niche trend, um, very like pop culture driven and very queer driven um, space Mm -hmm. or way of talking about fashion, which I think, you know, by now has become my niche. Um, And I think it's been very interesting to sort of come into this space, one, from a design background. So, you know, two, English is my second language. So, Mm -hmm. you know, often when I'm writing, I'm like, what the fuck? (laughs) Um, And it's also... Yeah. Which is amazingly crazy because, mm-hmm. like, you speak English like better than, like, <laughs> English-speaking people yeah. do. <laughs> Thank you. Um, you know, and it's also interesting because I, I have to juggle also the fact that I work for a brand, right? So I, I don't mention the brand I work. Um, I work for an, at all in my, in my Instagram or anything, but I also don't write about that market specifically or I don't right. write about um, the brand and its competitors. It's been an interesting way of juggling sort of the day job, the night job, and, mm. you know, like, how how do I navigate the space? You know, when I write for someone, people are like, oh yeah, reach out for a comment. I'm like, how do I do that? You know, just, mm-hmm. it's been a lot of sort of, um, you know, jump into the pool and figure it out. Mm-hmm. And with that, I've gotten so much better. I've got it so much more efficient over time, but it's also been a challenge in terms of all the things we've already mentioned, right? Like access, um, getting paid as a freelancer, mm-hmm. all of those little things. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's it's funny. I've also been complimented on my English because English is also my second language. When when mm-hmm. people meet me and they hear like they do hear an accent, they're like, "Wait, what?" 
Yeah. How can you write like that? And I'm like, I went to school. Hello. <laughs> That's exactly. how. <laughs> you know, it just, yeah. You, I you, learned. You trade and you learn. Yeah. Um, well, I want to say something because before everyone else says like, oh, we can do this too. Uh, I, I wrote, all of you are, you know, you, you guys are very fun, very engaging, bitchy, but also very, very knowledgeable. And I think it's important to point out because, you know, uh, um, last year I wrote this article for High Snobiety called uh, On Purpose, Chances Are You Aren't Going to Make It. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I got a lot of heat for it. But what I was saying <laughs> is, I wasn't saying don't try it. I was saying just please understand what it takes. Yeah. So I, I see that all three of you are very knowledgeable and very passionate about fashion. Um, and I want to talk about that a little bit. You know, Luke, how did you learn about fashion and, you know, how did you um, get um, into it? I'm from Staten Island originally, and for high school, instead of staying in Staten Island, which is one of the boroughs of New York, uh, I went to school in Manhattan. And so every day I would walk from the ferry to school, which was in like, you know, right by 14th Street. And I kind of like started to get interested in the way people dressed. And so Hot Limone originally started as a street style blog when like street style was about to like die i was like that seems great i can like make that happen (laughs) so that's kind of how like the genuine interest in fashion kind of came about and then you know i think like for me alexander mcqueen was like the big sort of awakening moment like i remember when the they brought they had the mcqueen exhibit at the met um and that was kind of like a moment where i was like holy shit this is amazing this is wonderful what is it like what does this even mean so i think that's kind of like how it formed and then the YouTube videos were just a lot of rambling. Like when, I can't watch the old ones cause I don't know what I'm talking about at all. I was just speaking. Mm-hmm. Um, but with that, I kind of realized, oh, I have no idea what I'm talking about. I need to like <laughs> read a book or something. And so that's kind of how it all sort of evolved. And, you know, it's just, it's just sort of gathering knowledge wherever you can from whatever you can and then piecing it all together in this weird web. Because a lot of fashion information isn't super readily available. It's mm-hmm. usually very scant. And I feel like a lot of people in our industry don't really know the history of our industry. It's something that you really have Say to identify. Say it louder for find. the people in the back. It's mm-hmm. true. It's really, really true. Like, I, I, you know, I didn't go to design school, but I feel like there's maybe a history class on fashion. And it's yeah. probably, it's like when you're in sixth grade, it's trying to cover from the American Revolution here in the United States to like Nixon. It's like mm-hmm. you're not going to be able to actually get in-depth understanding and knowledge from mm-hmm. that. So trying to expand that for the everyday person to make it fun is sort of what hot Lamotas become. Mm-hmm. It's funny you say that because when I taught at Parsons back in the day, I offered them a course on uh, history of contemporary fashion. And they were like, eh, we're not, we don't think our students need it. I was like, really? All your students want to be Alexander Wang. That We're talking about like 10 years ago. I would show them like Hussein Shalayan show videos and their world would fall apart. And they're like, what is that? And I was like, how can you not know that? Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. Like, I feel like all we talk about is like the new look. And it's like, if you're designing today, you should be talking about 
like the conglomeratization of the fashion industry. Like, I feel like there are a lot of people that don't know who Bernard Arnault is. And I'm like, we're yeah. working in the image of that man's vision of fashion. So why are we not all very well versed in how that operates? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, I also feel like we all should tell everyone how important it is to read books and look at books. Cause I feel like people no longer do that. And yeah, no, it's true. Um, Maria, what about you? How did you, how did you know that fashion is the thing you want to do? Like, how did you educate yourself? Yeah. So like in high school, I, um, you know, as I was like plotting, like my college career path, um, I knew that I, like, I loved watching Rachel Zoe project and America's next top model and, um, hell on earth and, and the Hills and all the, and all these shows. Um, so like fashion was sort of like, uh, just instilled in me from like that, like reality TV era. Um, and so that, so I went to school in Texas, Texas Christian university, and they have like a fashion merchandising program, which is more geared to like, if you want to be a buyer. So I was like, I want to be the next Ken Downing. Like I'm going to like work at Neiman Marcus and like, be like the fashion director um but quickly i realized i hated like <laughs> spreadsheets and like excel and math and formulas and all that stuff um so i was like well this is a bummer um so i kind of switched gears like in college like sophomore year and i, I interned at like in style uk in london that was like my first night with Dean internship and i just remember like being in the fashion closet like surrounded by all these like samples from like these big designers and I was just like blown away. Right. I was like, Oh my God, I'm like, in the, I'm like in the thick of like high fashion. And so that, that was sort of like my introduction to like fashion and media, um, and in terms of knowledge. Um, so around that time, like when I was like watching all these shows, I just like Googled like fashion, like, um, industry or fashion news or something. And I think style.com was like really like my, gateway into fashion I'm just like watching all these videos especially of like tim blanks at like you know fashion shows and like his like his like on the ground like reporting and reviews that was like i think really for uh formative for me um because then i got to know who like the key players are in fashion like who are the big wigs and um so that was really like uh, big for me in terms of like acquiring knowledge and then you know i would read like fashionista and like all these other like fashion news websites like pretty much since high school every day i would read and so that's how i like gained my knowledge and um eventually like you know i subscribed to women's wear daily and bof and you know every morning i would read that so and jose what about you um shout out to lady gaga (laughs) (laughs) okay (laughs) um no honestly because you know i'm i'm from bolivia i Back home, especially when I was growing up, there is not even a Zara, right? Like there's not, there's not sort of the, the, the brands that we see every day on the street in New York, you don't see them back home, not even people are wearing them, right? Back home fashion is not necessarily about brand, it's more about style, right? So I, my introduction to fashion was through style. Like when my mom was wearing, my mom used to make a lot of her clothes. That's how I, I wanted to make clothes because I would see her cut her parents, her patterns and like, you know, get the little patterns from magazines 
and they were all English. So she was like, I don't know what it says. I'm just going to like figure it out. Right. Um, and I saw her do that and I was like, oh, cool. So like my, my desire to want to make things came from her, but my interest in fashion came from pop culture. You know, I was the little gay kid, the little queer kid um, who didn't have a lot of friends, um, who didn't have a lot of people around him that I could relate to. Um, and then came Lady Gaga, you know, and then, you know, all of a sudden she's wearing these crazy things and she looks so cool and she's talking about Mugler and she's talking about McQueen and she's talking about all these things. And I'm like, who are these people? Um, so you start looking it up and you, you start reading blogs about what she's wearing and about archive and about um, all of these people that like House of Gaga and the people she's around, right? And from then I was like, okay, like, let's read about McQueen. I'm like, okay, this is sickening. Let's, mm -hmm. let's find out more. Let's read about Mugler. This is sickening. Let's find out more. Um, and that generated into its own little tangent of like, oh, I love this, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's again, like the same thing. Um, shout out to Tim Blanks, you know? Um, <laughs> e! News, red carpet coverage, like all of that stuff that is very like pop culture. That's how I got into fashion, you know? Mm -hmm. Looking at a dress and being like, oh, that's cool. How, how do you make that? That was my thing. Like, how mm -hmm. do you, how can you accomplish that? You know, shout out to Zach Poson, you know? I was in middle school, starting high school when he was like everywhere on the red carpet. And mm -hmm. I was seeing all these amazing dresses and I was like, how do you do that? Like how, how, how is that possible? Mm -hmm. You know, and then you start studying him and then you find out about his references, you know? Um, so for me, it was all very like pop culture driven. And then I decided to go to school for design. You know, I moved to the US and going back to what Luke was saying earlier, you have one fashion history class um and it's you take it when you're already an upperclassman you don't take it at the beginning of your of your college career you take it towards the end of junior year or in senior year um and it's a class that everyone sort of wants to just get over with you know mm -hmm. um because one you're you're taking other interesting class you're taking um concept design you're taking you know um pattern make advanced pattern making you're taking all these other things that are much more quote-unquote interesting in terms of you get to make shit, you make, you get to create your own ideas versus learning about someone else's. Right. Yeah. And like my fashion history class, and I can speak for, I think almost everyone that went to a design school that has a similar system was terrible because for us, it was, you started, you know, with cavemen and then you went all the way to mm -hmm. the nineties, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, how do you, how, you know, you're not yeah. even mentioning designers. You're not talking about history of fashion itself. You're talking about maybe the history of dressing, which is a very different conversation. Exactly. You know, mm -hmm. and I think, again, when I, you know, I was interested in, these, interested in these things. So when I was starting my senior thesis, my collection, I was doing all this research and like, I was so into these reference and all of that. But then I would see my counterparts who were not interested in that. They were more interested in, in sort of the actual product, the actual design, right? So mm -hmm. there was very little research and a lot of sketching. Um, so it was the education is super unbalanced in terms of that because mm -hmm. and the, on the other end, I was also, you know, we have one business of fashion class um, where, you know, you would read an article and then you would, would go in and discuss it. So I was always the unfortunate nerd that was like, oh, yeah, <laughs> like I want to talk about this BOF article or mm -hmm. I want to talk about, you know, whatever. And I want to say half of my classmates were like, I didn't read that. Like, why would I do that? I had other things to, you know, mm -hmm. and it's like, that's why now that I'm, you know, in this space and I look at young designers all day and I talk to young designers all day and I see all, all their work, that's why things look the way they look right now. Mm -hmm. 
you know, because there's there isn't a cultivated interest in mm -hmm. in having conversations about yes, history, but also the business, the industry of fashion mm -hmm. itself. You know, it's the schools in fashion really just push their students to be, and I went on a tangent, sorry, to be very insular, very um, individual in the way in which they design. And going back to what Luke was saying, like you need to know who the key players are, who, who the people who invented mm -hmm. the system that you're trying to get into are. Yeah. Um, but yeah, my intro to fashion was pop culture, 100%. Mm -hmm. Well, also, it's also with design, isn't it? Like McQueen, who sounds like we all absolutely adore and respect, McQueen said, you, you have to know the rules before you break them. Mm. I mean, yeah. the guy learned in several row. Like, I can't think of a better That's school. It. No, yeah. it's true. You, you master tailoring. You can do whatever you want. And so, yeah, and then you know what you're doing. That's the other thing is now I feel like the girls don't know what they're doing. They know how to put a mood board together and make patterns. And then, but it's like Balenciaga, you know, that, like Viennet, like McQueen, like those are all people at the Chanel. Like they all understood their craft to the physical degree, mm -hmm. not let me make a pattern for a t-shirt. And yeah. I'm going to do, you know, a little Photoshop on top of what the fabric will look like because I sketched it in in design. Like that's. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, the industry has changed so much in that sense, yeah. because back then, I mean, the whole concept of you have to know the rules before you break them is isn't that a Picasso quote? Like that's a very like modern art sort of perspective mm -hmm. of, you know, I am Picasso. I can do perfectly realistic naturalistic exactly. art but i choose not to right exactly and that's that's the exact perspective that mcqueen mugler like all of these amazing designers that we all are gagging about until this day take right but in my perspective at least back then you still had this tension with fashion where it was still very artistic right mm -hmm. you look at galliano you look at mcqueen you look at mugler you look at all these designers who are having these very artistic conversations within their fashion and then they choose, you know, like, oh, yeah, this has to be a product. So let's figure that out. Right. Mm -hmm. In the industry today, the industry is the fashion is product first. Right. You mm -hmm. know, and, and people may not like that and people may be opposed to that, but this shit has to sell, you know. Mm -hmm. So where is that side of the conversation? Because, yes, I definitely agree that like the girls don't know enough of the rules to be able to break them. And that's why fashion is very superficial right now in terms of aesthetics and assertive trends and design trends and design perspective. But even the people that do know the rules well enough to break them, don't know the business well enough to break mm -hmm. into it, you know? Right. So that's also a big part of the education is where, where it's like, okay, let's have that conversation of how do you actually sell things? How do you produce things, you know? How do you make this sickening jacket based on a perfectly tailored jacket that you took apart and repatterned beautifully, how do you put that on bird doors? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, the know? other thing is the customer is also far dumber, I would say, than we, and I say that I'm also a customer, far dumber than we had in the 40s, the 50s, the 30s, the 20s, the 60s, in the sense of they don't understand fabric. You know, you show them a Zara jacket and the everyday person's like, oh, it's good quality. Mm -hmm. It feels mm -hmm. nice. Mm -hmm. Whereas looking back at, you know, the historical sort of icons of the 20th century in terms of fashion design, all of their customers could say, no, that you're charging me too much for a jacket. I won't mm -hmm. pay that. Or the mm -hmm. fabric's not good enough. Or the delivery time is too, that's too long. And so the whole, like on both sides, both the people mm -hmm. creating product and the people buying product, 
have a very uh, lackluster knowledge of how things are made. And I mean, we could get into a whole conversation mm-hmm. about that too, but it's this miseducation all around. Yeah. Oh, I am so glad you said it, Luke, because I've been saying it. I'm, I'm hoarse already from saying that. No one <laughs> wants to hear it. Because, you know, we're not, it's democratization, right? We're not supposed to talk about, like, power to the people. Like, we're not supposed to talk yeah. about consumers because they vote with their dollar. But, like, I've written about it. I wrote this article called Blame the Audience. I'm like, if people have no concept of quality, you can dupe them very, mm-hmm. very well, easily. Yeah. And, and if you grow up on fast fashion, and if we grow up on fast fashion and you have no knowledge of what quality is, like, you know, I remember petting like Jill Sander cashmere in like 99 or 2000. Cashmere like this maybe like exists like in two places now, maybe at Hermes. Yeah. Or like what people think cashmere is nice is today. It's like, mm-mm, that's just, <laughs> that's mm. not how it's supposed to feel. But you're absolutely right. Like people by and large have no concept of what, it's supposed to be. And that's why I think corporations get away with murder. This is why we have $500 t-shirts with logo on them mm-hmm. that cost them $1.50 to make. That part. Yeah, it's why they also slap a sustainable label on everything and get away with it. Because, oh, it's, it's sustainable. It's, you know, recycled, whatever. Yeah. But, that's uh, but we're here to talk about another broken industry <clears throat> and it's the, and it's the media. <laughs> um, so I, you know, I wanted to ask you what, what frustrates you about fashion media uh, today? What, you know, what are the obstacles you are facing as uh, producers of fashion content and you know what what has frustrated you what frustrates you now access access least, let's talk about that me. yeah mm-hmm. i agree i mean what? you know coming from where i come from where i was just kind of like you know coming from this sort of different career different section of the industry and then coming into media um you know, when I first started doing it, I was like, oh, I don't really, I didn't really quote unquote care about access. You know, I was like, okay, Vogue Runway, et cetera, et cetera. That's enough for me to like, you know, get the images, get the, get, you know, a quick, like, um, quick review or summary of like, whatever this is, and then just talk about it. But that was when I didn't have an opinion myself. Right. And that was when I wasn't like creating media for someone else, like writing, et cetera, et cetera. Now, two years later, um, it's just really hard where you don't have access to things. You know, it's really hard when you don't have um, like access to talk to a designer or you don't have the show notes or you don't have like you can't get a press release, et cetera. When, you know, when I'm writing for some for someone and I'm like, well, actually, you know, asking my editor, like, hey, can you actually send me like the releases for all of these brands that I'm trying to talk about? Because I want to make sure I'm not talking out of my ass. Right. I, mm-hmm. I want to make sure that what I'm saying is at least aligned to what their intention was. And if it's not, to be able to say, this is what I think, but this is what they thought they were doing, you know? But that's all of, all of those loops of trying to get information are just insanely annoying. And it's also on the other end, on the other part of the conversation about access, it's like, how do I, you know, like, how do I get into a show? How can I go into a show? Maybe it's not that I want to, to, to go to a show, but how do I get information about the show? How do I get, you know, 
how do I know what fabrics are included? All those little things that are important because, you know, there's publicists in my email right now that are like, hey, write about this. And I'm like, how do you want me to write about this? You send me a paragraph of information, right? <laughs> um, they want you to copy and paste that paragraph. Exactly, oh, yeah. right? Exactly. And, that you know, that's another frustration <laughs> while, while you're at it, you know, where it's sort of this, this, this sharing of information that becomes so limited or becomes so specific that, you know, you don't, talk to a designer, you talk to a publicist, you know, and then the publicist filters the question through the, the through, like, if I want to ask someone a question, the publicist is going to filter through it. And then the answer is going to go through the publicist first and then to me, you know? So then what could have been a paragraph becomes a sentence. And I'm like, what am I supposed to do with a sentence mm -hmm. into an article? Right. Or it's also what you're saying. They will be like, yeah, I can share some information about the collection and it's a paragraph. And I'm like, well, girl, I don't know what you expect me to do with this. And it's what you're saying, you know? copy, paste, add some filler words, making 600 words, print. But that's not what I do. Mm -hmm. um, and it's also not what my editors are paying me to do, you know? Mm -hmm. So that conversation about access is very frustrating to me because it's just, got, it's just been really hard and really difficult and it shouldn't be this hard. It shouldn't be this difficult. And there's some designers that are so incredibly kind when it comes to just sharing their information and some designers that are insanely difficult to get around to and mm -hmm. it's also you know when when i'm emailing someone from my gmail it hits very different than when you're emailing from like a dot dof dot vogue etc 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 right it just that's the reality yeah no it's true well even before when you guys were like oh like the it's so many followers i'm like yeah that's why i kind of at this point like i care obviously because i love my audience i think they're really great but you would think that that amount of followers would give you some sort of like baseline access of, oh, we should email you and like say here, you know, here's the show notes or, mm -hmm. oh, so-and-so celebrity is wearing this, you know, unless I was banging on the fucking doors to be like, hi, can you just send me, you know, I, like this week I've been requesting VIP dressing email blasts because mm -hmm. it's, it's, crazy to me that you know hitting fucking almost half a million views on like an oscars video in less than a week you're still like dying to just be treated like you know every other publication like fucking access hollywood so it's this weird thing of even when you get when you hit a certain amount that you think is enough mm -hmm. for our industry it's actually technically not enough more or less probably because you have an opinion which is their problem in general is the more you have an opinion, the less access they would like to mm -hmm. give you. But, you know, you would think that the, my issue overall is doesn't matter if you have 300 million followers, if you have an opinion that they don't like, they'll do everything in their power to a not give you information and b demean you mm -hmm. when they can't not give you information. Yeah. Or pretend that you don't exist, which is what. Oh yeah, that's their that's their favorite, actually. Yeah, <laughs> Mario, what about you? Um, I think the thing that frustrates me most about media and obviously working in media is how like ninety percent of this job is literally just relationships and like keeping relationships and building relationships and trying not to break those relationships because if you don't, then you won't have access and then you won't have, you know, like you won't get exclusives and like all this stuff. It's really just the people, a people game. And um, it's God, it's like the most frustrating part of my job. Like 
I mean, I, I think, and yes, I work in media, but I don't work for like a prestige, like legacy title. So like, I also have to like, like work, like hustle to like, you know, get any sort of, um, I don't know, like respect. Like I don't have the backing of like a Vogue runway to like, you know, like if I did, it'd be so easy, right. To, to just like get all this information. Um, but so that's why it's really a matter of like playing the game in that sense. And like, you know, like being friendly to people and like, you know, like throwing them a bone for coverage and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, like that, I wish that's something I knew, like when I started out is really just like most of your time spent, like, <laughs> like beyond writing, beyond, um, anything like that is just like, Mm-hmm. Maria is very good at. I will say, I Amazing. have never in my life seen somebody work a room like Mario. Mm-hmm. Go anywhere with Mario, Mario is like, oh, this is blah 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 from so and so. Oh, this is the design director of whoever. And you're like, hold, like not only does he like store all the the information, mm-hmm. do the writing, like then he knows who everybody. It's it's amazing to see. It's yeah. and it's a, it's like a third job. It Luke is, and I went is. to the McQueen after party with Mario, and oh. we were gagging because Luke and I are oh. like, we don't know, we we knew each oh. other. Oh yeah, and yeah. Mario's here, like, like oh, this is that, this is that, this is that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, every single person in the room. Yeah, yeah. But no, that's, I, I that's feel a skill, the same. and that requires a lot of yeah. Oh yeah, a lot of work yeah, yeah. and a lot of energy. I I don't have so no. yeah, admiration and respect. It does. It's a lot of energy. It's it's a you know like like I said earlier about like building relationships, like it's also like, you know, being social and like going to, going to events and like meeting people and like networking. Um, I know. God, I hate that word, but it's like, it's really part like, that's why like I have, I feel like my social life is Mm -hmm. so intertwined with my work life that I, everything is just connected. And like, by the time the weekend arrives, I don't want to do anything. Cause like the week, like Monday through Friday, Mm -hmm. I like was already out. Like, going to functions and like it's it's you know it's exhausting mentally um but yeah it's and it's all about playing the game and like uh leveraging those relationships because you Mm -hmm. want you know you want access so i feel people don't realize how actually this industry is not that big it looks big from the outside but it's not you know there are a handful of pr companies right and it really is very, you know, there is a power imbalance balance, and personal relationships are incredibly important. That's what people don't realize. People are like, well, if I just send an email and I'm like, if you didn't have no. a drink with that person, you can send a hundred emails and chances are, yeah, it's going to just go into the void. Yeah. Can I just add something like, um, you know, Luke and Jose talking about access, like, like it, like it, it boggles me also because you guys, like your audience, is like so engaged and like, like loves fashion and like, and it's just like I'm thinking of like the shift that happened a couple of years ago, at, like at fashion shows, like the front row was like bloggers or whatever. Like, I'm still like I do feel like there will be a shift at some point. Like there has to be, right? Like it can't just be gate kept, gate kept for so long from this new wave of young commentators and you know online people i'm i'm like i i feel like it has to at some point like like mm-hmm. the, the gates have to be open for you guys i just can't imagine 
you guys continuing what you do and, you know, not get, not getting a fucking email blast of, of celebrity dressing credits. Like who cares? Like, but I don't get it. Because that's so much of what we, post. yeah. But yeah, you know, idea. like, but Mario, you know, all of you are quite, quite critical and unafraid. And I feel mm-hmm. like, uh, that will always be, you always be gatekept. Like, how do you, how, yeah. do, how do you retain it? Like I've made my piece that LVMH and caring. I'm like, it's fine. You guys are over here and I'm over here and I don't need to bother with you. I'm still gonna say what I think about all of you, right? Like, you know, let's say Dior. Everybody knows like Maria Grazia sucks. Everybody knows that, right? Like, you know, look, you roast her. I certainly, you know, oh, uh, yeah. uh, anyone from, from Kathy Horan on <laughs> down, anyone who is not like on Vogue staff and gets paid to write, like basically uh, bought coverage, you know, how do we, how, like, how do you guys think, you know, can you retain that edge and get a seat at the table? No. <laughs> so it's interesting, like, when you have people like Kathy Horn or um, Robin Gabon, like, people whose writing people actually respect and, like, they still get access, right, because they know, like, they're influential because of their voice in fashion, even though sometimes it may not be so flattering, but they, they still, you know, every season they'll still go to shows or they'll, they'll still get to interview creative directors. I, the only difference with, you know, between people like you guys or like us is like, you guys don't have the backing of that publication, but you both are astute and critical in your opinions and you're knowledgeable. Like there's really no difference. Cause like, it's not like we're just bashing people all day. Like, like that's not our intention. Like our, like we, like we're critical. Yes. But because we're honest and transparent and like, we don't like the bullshit. And people, and, and, and that's how like, we built our audiences, right? And so, like, I don't see the difference between that and, like, what, you know, Kathy Horan writes in, like, in a paragraph, in, like, a, in, like, a review that that's, like, dragging a designer. Like, for me, there's no difference. So, well, it's I, interesting. I it. Go ahead. No, no, no. I was just going to say, for me, I'm at a place where it all ebbs and flows. Like, at this point, I'm just going to keep saying whatever I want to say. And if you like it, which sometimes they do. Sometimes they're happy for that to be mm-hmm. a thing. And then as soon as you say something that they don't like you're off the books mm-hmm. and then it seems you know it might be a year or two i louis prejant once said it he i he was doing an interview or something and he said he was like i have to calculate everything that i want to say in a video whether or not like what is the timeline of how long i'll be banned from that collection or how long like will i be in trouble with the brand depending on what i'm saying but after a few years they always come back mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. absolutely they well, want the audience <laughs> exactly i mean yeah. i think at the end it's one yes they want the audience but it's also when it benefits them but i think you know going back to the conversation about the kathy's the vanessa's the robins etc i think there's a there's a reason why vanessa's at the new york times there's a reason why robin is at the wapo there's a reason you know there's a reason why they're not at all of these other you know legacy there's a reason why they're not a bazaar you know or mm-hmm. l etc etc so i think that's a big part of the conversation that a lot of at least my audience misses sometimes where they're like, Oh, like I love how Kathy writes for the cut. Why can't, or Vanessa for the times, why can't, you know, 
so-and-so at Bazaar write the same way. And I'm like, well, <laughs> you know. Or, Hello, advertising. <laughs> exactly, yeah. you know, like they're very different systems, first of mm -hmm. all. But I think on the other on, on end of that combo, it's, you know, when you when you think of a Kathy, for, I think someone like her, you know, brands will take the risk of saying like, you know, we'll invite her and she'll be front row. And, you know, if she drags us, then it'll be just one paragraph on this, the cut review. But if she, you know, what the, the, when Kathy writes something positive about these people, it tastes a lot sweeter than when we do. And I think mm -hmm. that's, you know, part of the conversation as well. I think, you know, the approach may be similar or it may just be like a, a different generation or a different way of doing it. It's also because, you know, we don't have all the years of experience, of course. But I think all of those years amount to a specific way, a specific kind of cloud that is very respect based and it's very, you know, mythical when, you know, when Kathy praises you, bitch work, you know, like good for you. <laughs> like, let's go have a drink. You know, yeah. it's not the same that when I'm like, oh, I'm gagging, this jacket is really well cut because mm -hmm. I don't have the myth around me. I don't have the years of, you know, respect behind me, mm -hmm. parenthesis yet, hopefully, you know. But I think that is a big part of the conversation as well. And that's why a lot of brands are not really super interested in, you know, this sort of, and I think it's, it, it also happens with the blasts about collections, about VIP dressing, right? Like if say Valentino just dressed, I think it was Jamie Dorman for the Oscars, right? Why would they send me the blast? Because then when I, when I saw that they had dressed him, I was like, this jacket is so poorly fit. Why doesn't he have a tailor, you know? Mm -hmm. So <laughs> I think they'd rather me not know in a sense, right? Because it's like, sure. well, you know, yeah. I think that's also like an interesting balance of, okay, yes, we want to benefit from the audience, but all, only when we can make sure that it's going to be positive mm -hmm. versus with Kathy, you know, even if that's where I think the question becomes like, is all press good press? And I think with us, no, with Kathy, probably yes, because mm -hmm. of this she's talking about you. Yeah. But it's also interesting to know, and this is how I got into fashion journalism to, to begin with. All of the critics we just mentioned, they work for general interest publications. Mm -hmm. yeah. And those publications are not reliant on fashion advertising as much as the glossy media. And yep. when I was growing up and started reading extensively fashion journalism, I always thought, well, why are the best articles are in New York Times or in the New Yorker? Mm -hmm. Why are they not in Vogue? Uh, why are they not in Harper's Bazaar or, or whatnot? And then later on, I realized why. I was like, oh, <laughs> yeah, this is why. And it's a shame. I think it's a shame because I think, and I want to hear your opinions too, but I think we all do this actually in the service of fashion as a medium right like i mean why why are you guys critical what is what is the what is the goal of your criticism um <laughs> i mean for me it's a thing of again i think it goes back to like the cusp i think for me it's also a personal understanding is like i neither of my parents were like super into fashion they liked clothes but they weren't like oh Mugler, Dior, whoever, blah, blah, blah. So for me, it's really an understanding of a topic and because, you know, it's overarching the umbrella is fashion, but there's so many different little, you know, rain droplets that come down it. You can sort of 
jump from designer to designer to creative director of a certain brand or whatever. And so for me, it's sort of just expanding that knowledge and essentially the personal expansion of that knowledge I get paid to do because then I just regurgitate all the information that I learn back to an audience that genuinely, I think, enjoys it. And the critical thing comes from you have somebody like Maria Grazia Dior. In reality, when you look at it, you're like, this is hot goddamn garbage. Is she trying (laughs) to essentially like, you know, appease the women of the 1950s who were, you know, rioting against Dior's new look collection? Possibly, but it's taken five or six years to understand that 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 is what she's been trying to do. And so for me, it's that the criticism leads to knowledge because you're trying to, you know, pad out, as Jose was talking about before, whether or not you are understanding what they are trying to do and also whether or not they did a good job of what they're purporting to do each collection, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. You just reminded me of something. Oh, yeah. go ahead, Mario. For me, uh, I was going to say, uh, like, for me, it's like, I, I just, I just can't stand like the, with the smoke and mirrors aspect of the industry and how everything is so polished and perfect and then trying to make it out to be like, you know, and like we all know, like, it's not like that in reality. And I just hate like all the ass kissing behind the scenes and and the favoritism. Um, and so for me, it's just like, I, you know, I don't give a fuck. Like if, like, I, I'd rather like be true to myself and like, um, look mm-hmm. at, cause like the industry is so fake, mm-hmm. right? It's point blank. It's fake. And so I, I, that's like the antithesis of like what I personally stand for. And so I, you know, that's why I do, I guess what I do. Um, and people respond to it because like, the, like it just, can't like they know everything mm-hmm. is so fake oh yeah. sure i was you just and mario might remember this i think it was like last year um there was this one tweet that you know from this person on high fashion twitter um which is this community of, of um, young people who talk a lot about fashion on twitter but this person was talking about you know um i wish there was more of the criticism that you see from you know um kathy angela flacavento etc 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 on um legacy media or something like that and then this one of the og bloggers um retweeted a quote tweeted no screenshotted i was like what do y'all want with all of this criticism like what is the goal of all the criticism that you want to see etc etc it was like a whole thing right and that's a very short-sighted perspective because you know i think in the end my goal at least with all of the criticism that i would like to see that i enjoy reading and that i try to create is just it's pretty self-serving right i mean in the end at least right now i don't think i don't know if i'll be working as a designer for much longer but at least right now that i am i i wish things looked better so when i make things they can also be compared to that standard right because Mm -hmm. right now the way in which a lot of fashion works that people would like to pretend it doesn't at least that you know at a very big market level is look at your neighbor, look at what they're doing, what is selling best, and how can we make our own version of what's their best seller? You know, how can we get a piece of that pie? How can mm-hmm. we comp that product? How can we do that? Because it is product design in the end, right? If things look better, then maybe my job would be a little bit more fun because I could look at nicer things all day. <laughs> you know, at least that's sort of like my self-serving perspective, but it's also yeah. going back to when I was in school, 
like I was, I was, I was a girl that was reading all these articles, you know, like I was reading Eugene. I told you the other day when we met for coffee, like I read everything you, I still do everything you write. Rachel Tashin, Vanessa Friedman, Kathy, all of these people, you know, I was studying what was written because on the other end, you know, I wanted to see what these people actually thought about the collections I was, I was trying to reference, mm -hmm. you know, I was like, oh, this, this collection was sick. I love this coat. Let me actually see what Kathy thought about the collection. Cause mm -hmm. maybe, you know, like I don't have an opinion about it, but she does, you know, mm -hmm. all of that criticism is as Lucas saying is education, you know, is, is information yeah. that you need to create better things. And it's the same way as film. It's the same way as art. It's the same way. It's the same way as all of these other things where criticism pushes the creator to become better. But it and that's a big side of it, but it also pushes the conversation to become more informed. I think mm -hmm. fashion is so the the fashion the academic side of fashion is almost new in a sense, where there's so much space to talk about fashion in a, from an academic perspective that mm -hmm. criticism is where that starts. And if if you don't create all of that, then it becomes very hard um, to move forward. There's this um, student I, from a school in Canada the other day that you know reached out like she's doing her um, master's in fashion studies and she reached out for an interview and she wanted to talk about anti-fashion, you know? And she was like, it's interesting because a lot of, you know, uh, these big critics that we all talk about all day, they have a very specific perspective on anti-fashion, you know, they have a very, and she's like, and a lot of, all of that voice is so one, so superficial in a sense that there's very little information, you know, or there's, mm -hmm. there's very little conversation where I can draw from for, for my study studies. Yeah. So now I have to interview people. Imagine if criticism was so extends that she could actually go into a library and look up anti-fashion criticism and find the same way the Cathy's of Vanessa's, the same way Vanessa Freeman is talking about how Anthony Baccarello casts skinny models and really high heels mm -hmm. and talking about that perspective of feminism. Imagine if she had access to people talking about queerness in fashion, anti-fashion, mm -hmm. all of these other subcultures of fashion that are also so important, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I think for me, that's sort of the goal to, to populate that space. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, you touched upon something that I always go back to when people say like, oh, you know, fashion criticism is that or it's not important. And I say, you know, I think, yes, the role of fashion criticism is absolutely diminished for the most part, I think, actually, because consumers don't give a fuck. Honestly, mm -hmm. because like yeah. the end consumer, like we can bash Maria Grazia all we want. But millions of people are gonna go and buy that stupid Dior, whatever, because it says Christian Dior on it, and their thinking does not extend beyond that. That's it. Yeah. Right. But there will, on the flip side, there will always be people, and and what I'm trying to figure out whether there are fewer people of there are fewer of them now, or has simply fashion has become much, much larger. And I think it's the latter mm -hmm. that that fashion criticism gets diluted. But I always say like, there will always be people, what you just said, Jose, who have an opinion, but they want to know what other people are thinking. And not all opinions are the same, right? Because you need knowledge, education, experience, in order to back your opinion up, like that's, it's not just an opinion, right? It's an informed opinion, say. Exactly. You know, and before I had an informed opinion, I was reading everyone's informed opinion, you know? That's how you, that's how people get anywhere. But even on that flip side of the flip side, 
yes, there's always going to be the people that go and buy the stupid Dior fucking We Are Feminist t-shirt, of course. But there is a customer that does know what they're talking about. I don't think for at least like the Gen Z, you know, might not be that. Millennial might not be a lot of them, but that generation above, I have a friend whose mom, you know, is like a pretty solid luxury shopper and she diehard like loves my channel, obsessed with my channel. And and I don't, I mean, it makes me feel good that she watches it, but she's like, oh, when I, like you're saying all the stuff that I know because I've been buying these brands for about 30 years, mm-hmm. but it's nice mm-hmm. to hear somebody else communicate besides a sales associate, something about this jacket. Mm-hmm. And it's not somebody saying, oh, you should buy this jacket because it's cashmere, blah, 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 blah. And she's like, no, I know the cashmere quality is diminished. I know mm-hmm. it's not good anymore, but it's nice to hear somebody else be able to say, not only is like, I know the cashmere is going to be shit quality, but you also can't sell me on the cut of it because it's mm-hmm. not a cute cut. It doesn't have a, you know, and and the cut is pretty much a reference of a Saint Laurent jacket from the 70s. So th- being able to also sort of entice that customer that does know what they're talking about and give them that opinion of, I want to know what other people think because it confirms the fact that I don't want to buy Dior anymore. Mm-hmm. I, like, I don't, there's no need for me to buy it anymore because it doesn't mean anything. It's not doing anything. It's not expanding or reworking or reinventing or recrafting or whatever. So, mm-hmm. well, yes, we have the t-shirt buyers. We also have people that actually buy the clothes. And so mm-hmm. that criticism does matter. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think so too. But but I do feel, you know, when people say, oh, criticism has diminished, I do think that's because it's just the field has become much larger because let's face it, so-called luxury fashion today is a mass phenomenon. Yeah. Every second girl has a Gucci belt on it. So, you know, what does luxury mean when you can buy, oh, did I ever show you guys my favorite picture? I screenshot, like you can buy a Gucci no. bag at Costco now. <laughs> Well, that that to me that, that's hilarious, right? But that's also why you have them now making like a good tour T-shirt, yeah. You know, because people don't know what to do. Um, like, I think these designers also don't know what. To, like, how do you fight or go against, you know, the the Gucci belt industrial complex? You know, mm-hmm. and that, <laughs> that's why there's this like whole weird and very um, cringy, at least in my perspective, conversation of like democratization of luxury, right? Where it's like, oh, how do you make, again, like, shout out to um, Celine right now, you know, like at Isman, how do you democratize luxury to, you know, like, oh, luxury buyers also need their own version of quote unquote Gap or Zara, whatever, they need their basics. Well, it's also because, you know, they want to go against or they, they want to both benefit from the whole Gucci belt thing, but they also want to go against it. And, you know, I think you when you also think of, I don't know, Phoebe, when she started, right, there was this sort of ideal of quiet luxury subtlety right if mm-hmm. you know you know you know i'm i'm wearing this the coat i'm wearing this um phoebe for celine bag or whatever but not everyone knows what it is if you know what it is then good for you we're part of this club that doesn't necessarily happen at that level anymore you know i think again shout out to the kardashians for example you know when kenya started putting kim and celine i the, that whole conversation shifted of you know what is luxury who is it for when you're talking about democratization, who is it? Who does the people actually have power, or do they just have more access, like visual access? You know, I think there's a lot of conversation around that sort of thing of the Gucci belt, 
that opens so many conversations around fashion where you can buy your Gucci belt at TJ Maxx, but you can also buy it on Canal Street. And who's going to who's going to tell the difference? Mm-hmm. And that goes back to the customer conversation is exactly. nobody could tell who the what the fuck. Yeah, it's exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so maybe going back to my next question, I think we kind of reviewed it. Like, what do you think? Uh, what frustrates you with fashion in general? In in general, what frustrates you in fashion as an industry in general? <laughs> Quiet. I am. Um, because it's because it's so much. <laughs> yeah. You're right. I'm like, like where do we start? Um, you know what really frustrates me. What frustrates me the most? Let's let's start that way. Is again, I think my career as a designer has opened the, like my eyes a lot into the way we actually get product to a store, um, the way we quote unquote create the fashion that people you know desire or whatever. And I think my biggest frustration is how so how merchandiser led the industry is right now yes you know? let's talk about because that for, let, let, let's talk a little exactly like let's talk a little bit about the design process right i can i'm a handbag designer right now so i design a really cool handbag in my opinion a really cool handbag and you know i have really good taste um, so like <laughs> we, i'm like okay this that. looks cool you know <laughs> um so I, I i do something interesting and i'm like this feels new and then you know my boss sees it and she goes this feels new you know so let's keep going but then it gets to a point where we have to show a merchant and merchant is, um, yeah, that's cool. Um, but you know what? I don't know if Japan is going to like that because it has to have this. Um, but if you do that, then North America might not buy it because it becomes, you know, it's not their market. But maybe we can get, you know, um, the whole Asia to to invest into it because, you know, it's not going to be a big idea in Europe. And then it's all of these conversations about how do you, create quote unquote the perfect bag for everyone instead of you know that one specific customer that will love it and then the bag that i started versus the bag that hit the store is completely different and what hits the store i don't even want to claim you know (laughs) so (laughs) my biggest frustration is that is that conversation about merchandising and buyer that is that has taken over the whole concept of creating fashion and has completely change the system because again when when i get a deck on the things that i should be looking into for a new season it's full of other brands it's not full of ideas right and that's a big problem because when everyone is looking at the neighbor and then i have to reference the neighbor to to fulfill sort of like a quote-unquote product void then what happens when the next person is looking at me What, what happens when the neighbor is now looking at what i'm doing for said brand Right. Mm-hmm. And then we're all just referencing each other and we're all trying to comp each other out. Right. Mm-hmm. And you know what happens? Everyone makes the exact same bag, you know, yeah. go, go into any, any, any store, any brand right now. And everyone has a flap crossbody with a, with a logo plaque. And I'm telling you, Tory Burch, Lueve, McQueen, Valentino, every single one has the exact same bag. And mm-hmm. do you want to talk about like, the, you know, the death of the it bag? Let's start there. Right. Mm-hmm. Because so many, everything looks the same right now. And that yeah. my frustration is that it's not a lack of ideas. It's, it's a, it's prioritizing the business. And it goes back to where Luke started. That's like, you know, you should know who the man that created the system is, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but that is my biggest frustration. It comes from a design perspective, but I think it also informs so much of my, of my conversations around fashion online, where I'm kind of like, fuck, I'm bored. 
You know, and the reason why I'm bored is because I know exactly how everyone is getting from point A to a store. Right. And it's depressing. Yeah. 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 So I agree. I think fashion really has been homogenized for all the supposed choice that we have. Mm -hmm. It really has been looking kind of homogenous, especially when you go to these big mono brand stores from corporate brands or, or to the, even worse department stores i'm like i don't know about you guys i'm bored out of my mind like i feel like i'm seeing the same product with a different logo on it yeah and it's all merchandise right next to each other right so yeah, then you yeah. go into you go you went to bergdorf's and then you go to ready to wear and it's you know designer a designer b designer c but if they did if they didn't have the the, the little plaques on top how can you tell Maybe we can, the four of us can yeah. tell because we, we look at collections obsessively, right? Mm -hmm. We know, yeah. oh, the colors, you know, you know, the color story, the finishes, that whatever. But the actual customer, how can they tell? You know, it becomes a, like, you, what are you going to buy the Max Mara code? Are you going to buy the, the, the Michael Kors collection that looked exactly like Max Mara code? Or, you know, like, it becomes a matter of, yes, in theory, there are options, but in the end, it's just, comping each other out you know mm -hmm. celine like phoebe did the puddle boots at celine and a few years later you know daniel lee did them then they hid and they were everywhere next season ambush did them in the same green yeah you know and then you have a girl walking down the street and you're like oh cool are those bottega and she goes like uh no there's zara <laughs> you know and i'm like oh, well yeah. they, they, they could be celine they could be bottega they could be ambush but actually they're zara right yeah yeah um, Mario, what do you find frustrating about fashion? Like, what, what would you like to see improved or different? Oh, gosh. I mean, <clears throat> like, I don't know. I guess I see it so much from, like, like in, an internal point of view because, I like, I'm in the trenches of it and, like, I work every day, like, with these people. Um, so... I don't, I, I don't know. I think it's it's the whole, like, and I, I kind of said this before already, but, like, the whole, like, favoritism and, like, weird, like, relationship dynamics of, like, of the whole industry. And, like, I just, <laughs> oh, it, it, it just irks me. Um, <laughs> um, and I see it, like, you know, every every time Fashion Week comes around, that, like, that's, like, it's, it's it's it plays such a weird toll i feel like on because like then you start doubting like like who you are like like your worth like your self-worth and like as a person and like as an editor like because if you don't you know get this invite or if you don't get um or this brand that you like did so much work for throughout the year all of a sudden mm -hmm. like they're paying you no mind it's and, th and i think that that's why like every time fashion month rolls around and i'm like traveling or whatever um there, there's always like the you, you experience these like highs and lows of like just these mm -hmm. like power dynamics um which i can't stand um so i think that's one, one thing and one of the big things that frustrates me um but i think you know as i would like to think that as i as i keep doing it and you know as i learn or whatever that it's you know at the end of the day like it's it, it really doesn't fucking matter at all because it's just it's just you know it's just a show it's 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 so ephemeral like um like there's more important things that matter like to you as a human so you know but mm -hmm. yeah that, that frustrates me um for me 
I guess it's sort of the, I would say the stagnancy that I think fashion right now is in. Um, I just feel like every season that rolls around, Mm -hmm. we more or less are kind of constantly saying to ourselves, how do I will myself to be excited about this? Like, how do I like actually, at least for me now, I'm like, how do I genuinely make my audience believe that I care? Because, like, of course, you do care and you do love it and it is great and it is wonderful. But unless you're really getting technically into it, it's very hard to sort of sit there and say, like, this is such an exciting thing that everybody should care about. Mm -hmm. And it's like, Mm -hmm. you know, these brands spend, what, 100K, 200K on a show and all they can do is have the girls work walk in a circle. Mm -hmm. Or all we can do is paint a room one singular color. We can't, like, there's no genuine idea of, like, excitement or entertainment. And I don't mean to, you know, do the rehashing of, like, McQueen, Galliano, Mugler kind of thing. But at the same time, we have those brands, and those brands meant something at certain times because of the impact that they made. Mm -hmm. And now those brands, it's almost like pulling teeth to get those brands to make that impact. Yeah. Like... It's, I think it's also just a matter of that monotony, that boredness, that stagnancy comes from the brands not understanding the context in which they work. Because as Jose said earlier, it's people that don't fucking care about fashion, right. all businessmen in suits mm-hmm. are the people dictating how things are going to go mm-hmm. and what the budget is. And then as Mario said, it's all the PR people that are making these things happen and then sort of forcing everybody to get excited, talk well, make this so happy, make everybody think this was wonderful and amazing and gorgeous. And if you don't do that, then we're going to treat you like shit. And so it all just, you know, is like this constant vortex of why are we all doing this? We Mm -hmm. could just look at pictures online and call it a day. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I, I wonder if part of this, I feel, first of all, you're totally right, Luke, that uh, it's all, it's so much of it. It has been corporatized and that the executives, they didn't come from fashion. They came like, I remember when like LVMA started like, uh, hiring executives from like fucking Unilever, Unilever. Oh, and I'd be like, you were in charge of soap and now you're in charge of haute couture. You know what I mean? <laughs> like you, like you were selling, uh, washing detergent before, uh, but that's really what's happened. And, and the flip side of that, I, what I think is happening is that, um, those larger than live designers were also liabilities and you can't yeah. have that in the co- in corporate mm-hmm. fashion. McQueen exactly. was a liability. We all know for sure Galeana was a liability, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Uh, but they, but with that came this incredible, power uh this creative power and now i feel all they're doing is they're hiring company men you know like and yeah they either promote from within because i think what's really happening is now they want the primacy of the brand over over the designer mm-hmm. that's what they want because yeah. designers are interchange interchangeable but the brand stays the brand yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I think another 
interesting thing there is just one that point about you know designers are replaceable and another i honestly that's another big frust frustration thing frust frustration of mine where everyone is replaceable for, in terms of creative right and even like as a designer you don't make more than your merchants you don't make more than your product developers you don't make more than finance you make much less right and i'm like well what happens if i don't show up you know <laughs> is my merchant gonna make the new bag yeah and you know what the worst part is that probably yes because all they have to do is grab the few photos of all the other brands they want to comp and be like mm -hmm. make a little kit out of this to a factory yeah. right that's a depressing thing and on that note that i think another big conversation around what you were just saying of you know the, these big masterminds being liabilities they were designers, right? They were designers first. Right now, being a creative director is very different than being a designer. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Creative directors very, rarely pick up a, 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 rarely sketch clothes, you know? Yeah, you're yeah. Not, they're not draping. <laughs> they're like, they're scissors, not, what's that? <laughs> yeah, they're, say, they're saying yes or no, right? They're mm -hmm. stylists. Because they're, they're literally directing. So right. I think that's another big thing that people are forgetting where it's like, oh, you know, um, so and so, honestly, I'm going to say something, Anna. You know, Jacques Mousse, for example, you know, in my DMs, there's always like, oh my God, I want to see him at Chanel. Like, he'd be amazing at Chanel. And I'm like, I am so sorry, but I look at his clothes down the runway. It's been 10 years and the pants never fit. The jackets are horribly cut. You want couture? <laughs> you want to see couture from this person? He's an amazing creative director, director, obviously, because he has this sort of knack for visuals. And, and visual communication on social media that is very unique that a designer does not make right no because even with carl it's like that's who that's what they're trying to do is how do i get a new carl mm -hmm. so how do i exactly. get somebody that makes me entertained every season but the thing is every woman that worked at that atelier would tell you when carl was there those sketches were incredibly detailed down to the centimeter. Mm -hmm. And they knew that they used to think, oh, Carl doesn't know what he's talking about until Carl would come and be like, no, too short. I told you 183 centimeters. Like mm -hmm. that, that's the thing is the girls don't have that background. Right. Right. Like even those, the, you know, an Eve or a Carl, like they, yeah, they were sketching, but they were sketching and then they actually had, the, had to have the technical background and they were mm -hmm. around the Atelier mm -hmm. all day. The yeah. girls don't go, even the creative directors, they're not going anywhere to go look at those bags. Very rarely, I would say. Or they do it once, what, a month, once every two months, once every yeah. three months. They're going months. For, the, for the Instagram video. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And let's not forget that Lagerfilm was incredibly well cultured, incredibly well educated. You know, like you can't, that's hard to replace. I think, and this is... Uh, like I was no fan of Carl. I mean, I thought it was he was entertaining, but I wasn't mm -hmm. fan of what Chanel was putting out and whatever. Same. Until he was gone, and then I was oh, like, yeah. "Oh, now this is really bad. <laughs> like, oh. Can we can we resurrect?" <laughs> well, first I of all, I thought he'll never die, but you know, you never know but... what you have until it's gone. No, it's true. I literally will never forget. I made a video where it was like, honestly, like I kind of want Carl to die only because we'll get a new creative director, and I regret that statement. Not even for yeah. the fact of like asking him to like go to pass away, but for the state of like. What I've asked for is far worse. Than what <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's the that's the overarching issue is the girls. It's yeah. it's this weird stagnancy that just does. And also, I think in general, going back to like that Unilever point is, 
we don't work in fashion. We work in branding. Mm-hmm. That's what sells. We all know that it's it's a perfume and it's a makeup and it's a handbag. We don't work in fashion. Fashion doesn't sell. People don't buy clothes or they do. It's very small groups of people that buy real clothes. We work in branding because Yves Saint Laurent, you could do a lineup of Yves Saint Laurent pictures and the girls would be like, oh, I don't know who that is. <laughs> oh, I don't, I don't know who Selena is. Yeah. Who's Chloe? Like, no, no concept of who mm-hmm. anyone. It, mm-hmm. like, so does it start with lack of education, do you guys think? Yeah. It starts yeah. with lack of education and then it follows up with a lack of interest. Because mm-hmm. I have friends that went to school with me that have the same quote-unquote education on history, but know so much today, you know? And it's because they saw the void and they were like, no, I want, I actually want to learn. I'm actually curious about these things. So then you go seek it out, right? I think it starts with education, but it follows up with, with true genuine interest. I have friends who are working designers in the industry who have no idea of the history of fashion, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, and, and again, they are people that are creating things that go out into the world, right? Mm-hmm. That's a problem yeah you know and that's that's something that's very frustrating to me but yeah. versus i have friends who are again like working designers who know so much mm-hmm. you know and, and and it's a matter of interest and it's a matter of like oh maybe maybe i should know what i'm talking about yeah do you guys feel because because you're closer to it than i am do you guys feel like it's a generational problem because i feel and maybe it's because i'm getting older but i feel like with each generation, each generation becomes more and more self-referential in general. Like, I feel like there's maybe lack of interest in general. I mean, obviously, there are always standouts about sort of history of culture, not only fashion, but like, you know, music, art. Um, or do you feel it's, it's simply a matter of like what kind of person you are? I would say both, maybe. I think, you know, when you're young, no one can tell you shit. You know, like when you are... <laughs> but I mean, you know, but it's true. Like when you, when I was starting college, I thought I knew everything, girl. You know, I thought that just because I had a Tumblr and I was looking at history of fashion on my little Tumblr, I knew everything, you know? Mm-hmm. And then you quick realize that you don't. And then you grow up and you're like, oh, again, like maybe I should know a little bit more about what I'm trying to talk about or or about what I'm doing. I think it's very much a generational thing, but I think it's also personality. You know, it's it's about curiosity. You know, you Mm -hmm. you go into TikTok and you see so much of Gen Z being insanely referential. Like I'm actually writing this piece about right now about how much, why all of fashion right now is cosplay, right? Everyone is dressing Mm -hmm. up as like, oh, I'm going to be in Y2K drag. I'm going to look like I just went on a hike in all Patagonia, but I'm actually just in my room working on Excel. You know, I'm going to look like like a model off duty, but, you know, I do whatever, et cetera. It's all cosplay, right? And I think mm-hmm. it comes from that desire of, of, of reference that comes from a nostalgia that comes from access through internet, right? Yeah. Mil- younger millennials and Gen Zs have so much access to imagery yeah. to know exactly what things look like so we can imitate them. Yeah. But then most people get there. That's that's sort of the first layer, right? The next level is the why do things look like that? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The people that the people that actually have the gen like the generational thing is the access and the imitation, the cosplay, right? The second layer is per- personality only because if you're curious about it, if your personality is to be curious about it, or 
if your taste level is, you know, I want to be, I'm interested in this, then you go into the why, and then you start looking <laughs> things up and then you learn why. So I right. think it's a mixture of both. I think it's a generational thing that speaks to, you know, our, the fact that we are digital natives, but I think the second layer is, you know, personality only. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, no, no question. There are always going to be people who are passionate and want to know more. Yeah. And I feel like, I feel like what unites all of us in a way, because now getting to know your backgrounds, like I grew up in the middle of nowhere, immigrant Brooklyn, and there was not a single person around me who was interested in fashion. So I always felt like an outcast. And when the internet came around and, and I found like the fashion spot through a random Google search, I don't know if you guys know the fashion spot, it was yeah, like the original message course. board. I was like, my people. It's <laughs> <laughs> very bad. You still go on a fashion spot, Mario? I oh, do too. I still go on it, yeah. Because they talk about like, They'll talk about like, like magazine models. covers and like yeah, yeah they go like in. they go in. Oh, that's cool. I'm still I'm still glad it's going because I, I yeah. thought it was like I thought the whole culture kind of. Oh no, they're still ripping the girls up, no problem. Oh, yeah. I love that. They also talk about influencers sometimes. Oh, yeah. I think I have a what's it? I think there's a topic about me, and I was like, there I was, read enough. Thank you. <laughs> there definitely is. There definitely See you is. Later. A topic about you. I never Google myself because why I, would I you know? read the comments? Like, yeah, that's I was the, like, oh. I love I'm immune at this point to the comments. We're good. Once you like hit out with every celebrity fan base, such yeah, as like, it's healthier that way, no? To not oh, read yeah. them? Yeah, yeah. Oh, ignorance is bliss. Yeah. But <laughs> totally. I hate ignorance. Um, <laughs> it's also, I'm only responsible for what I say, not, about, not on how you understand it. Exactly. Oh, yeah. Let's talk about that because it's very important. Uh, um how you know what happens when you like what's your reaction when you like oh i am being completely misunderstood that's not what i wanted to say like, i think it depends on 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 the level of misunderstanding you know sometimes <laughs> sometimes i get dms of like you know people starting to attack me because they fully misread it and sometimes i engage and i'm like hey this is actually what i meant like mm -hmm. Do you still feel the same way? And sometimes I, I'm like, you're, you know, I think sometimes there's a genuine misunderstanding where it's like, I fully did not get it. And I read something completely different and I think you're wrong. So then I, when it feels genuine, I engage and I have these conversations where I'm like, no, mm -hmm. this is actually what I meant. What do you think about that? You know, mm -hmm. but sometimes people just like to, you know, twist or, or, or fabricate meanings out of things that you've said. You know, mm -hmm. I wrote this piece um, on like, you know what happens to like if you know you know fashion when everyone knows about it you know yeah yeah, yeah. that Hobbies, was a great Margellas, piece et cetera. thank you um you know and that was a really fun write-up but then you know there's there's like a few tiktoks about it where people were talking about like me wanting to gatekeep and me wanting to do all these things and i'm like did you read it <laughs> you yeah. know and i'm i'm, I'm, I'm facepalming right now the audience can't right? see it. exactly <laughs> no that you have to see g's face right now but it's actually that you know it's I, I don't engage with that because it's mm -hmm. clear to me that you read this piece and you made a decision on what you want me to say so that you can have a conversation on TikTok, right? Yeah. And when yeah. you are making a decision to completely, you know, twist or misunderstand 
And the worst part is that like one of this person's arguments against the piece was the closing argument that I made. Right. So I'm like, oh, so we fully did not read this. Oh, and, yeah. You know, again, like, or it's like when someone's dragging Luke and I'm like, did you finish the video? Right. <laughs> um, so th I think that's that's a big part of it. Right. Yeah. When that is the case, when I see that someone is fully trying to, you know, create. Like create misunderstanding to benefit from it in terms of conversation or, mm -hmm. you know, to be incendiary or things like that I don't engage in it because there's no point because it's a very clear decision of like I don't care what you have to say I just have an opinion and I, I'm using you as my vessel to voice it versus when there's a genuine misunderstanding where it's like wait I don't understand what you're trying to say here I think you're wrong because of this and this and this and I'm like well let me clarify first and then you can tell me if I'm wrong mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. I find that conversation much more enriching Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, yeah, my favorite comment on my work on Instagram, and thankfully it's rare, but I every time I screenshot it just for fun. Well, this was shit, but then I actually went and read the article. That's it. <laughs> exactly. And I was like, mm, yeah, <laughs> Mario, do you ever get like, do you ever get these things where people are like, oh, were you like, that's not what I was trying to say? Um, no. I mean, sometimes, like, like Jose said, like, you can tell when someone is, like, genuine and, like, wanting, like, clarification or, like, presenting an opposing argument. And it's, like, you know, they, they want to engage um, genuinely. And so I'll, I'll pay that mind. Like, I'll respond. And, like, usually it's, like, a little conversation about it. Great. Uh, but then, like, there's trolls, right, who, want nothing, who, who will never engage with you except to... Uh, you know, try to comfort you if they mm -hmm. think they got you or something. And it's like, mm -hmm. then I'll just like leave them on red. It's like, there's really no point in, in, in spending that energy. Um, but luckily I haven't really been dealt with that. Um, but then again, I don't, I don't have Luke's yeah. follower I mean, account. I could follow account. So. I have deep respect. <laughs> it, the thing is, it's not like super off. Like it, it really isn't that often. It happens like once every, maybe like once a year, I get like a really bad one. Doja Cat, there was one that was like, people wanted my like head on a spike. And then a year later, Doja Cat was like, you didn't what talk did about these shoes. Yeah, she was like, you didn't talk about these shoes that I wore. I'm really mad. I like wore them for you. So I'm like, the girls know. So there's mm -hmm. that. Like they're not <laughs> dumb. And then B, it's also just like, at a certain point, I know that everything that I talk about for the most part is usually backed up by like a factoid. Right. And if it's not, I'll mm -hmm. be the first person to admit it. Mm -hmm. And the other thing is like, more or less my job is talking shit about people very freely. <laughs> so if people want to talk shit about me talking shit, that's fine. That's like fair. people are always yeah, like, you, you're wearing yeah, I'm like, people are always like, you're wearing a t-shirt and you're talking about fashion. I'm like, yeah, because it's not about what's going on here. It's mm -hmm, about what's mm -hmm. going on in here and in here. That's mm -hmm. it. And so, you know, also like, again, engage with the content. Likes, comments, dislikes, whatever. Like, that puts me yeah. in the algorithm more, babe. So I'll take it. Yeah. I remember I did a couple of sort of listicles for high snobiety where it was like best men's fashion shows of like fashion men's fashion shows that mm -hmm. changed the game basically and high snobody yeah. posted and the list was there were 12 and high snobody posted like six on instagram mm -hmm. but it but it said like you know 12 shows go read the article like in big bold letters yeah 
and they're like a hundred comments. Where's Dior Ohm? Where's Eddie Sliman's Dior Ohm? I'm like, number three, number yeah. three. It's not in the slide, please, but you know, please. if you actually read the article, it's in there. Do you yeah. think I would miss Dior Ohm? Like Eddie Sliman's Dior Ohm? Like, do you think that wouldn't make, you think Luster wouldn't make it into the list? <laughs> exactly. No, I, People just try to, people love, people love thinking oh, that yeah. they, like, they got mm. you. Like, they try to one-up you, like, oh, like, Yeah, I remember I posted something that. on Instagram about, I don't know, I think it was a collection, it was months ago. It was a few, no, I wish it was, like, a few, like, yeah, at the end, beginning of the year, maybe. And I was like, oh, this is, this looks so gay, I love it, whatever. And then one of the comments was, like, we really need to have a conversation about uh, gender neutrality and genderless and degendering fashion. And, like, why are you calling things gay? And I'm like, I'm like, girl. <laughs> Did you? I'm like, <laughs> click the link in bio. I'm like, yeah. half of the shit that I write is queerness, gender, degender. Mm -hmm. I'm like, that's. I'm like, and if you scroll down further enough in the actual, um, caption that I wrote that you're complaining about, it literally says, "Click to read more." Right? I'm like, mm -hmm. if people actually make the app, like it's what Mario is saying. Some people just want to get you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. it's just, I'm, I'm like, girl, you're not, I'm you really are coming here my comments to tell me that i should be talking about gender neutrality i'm like that's half of what i it's half no, of what i pitch, people don't right? read half it. of what i'm ranting about every single day people right. don't read and tone is lost over social media and as someone who like as someone who like works in like media and like sees analytics of like page view clicks and like there's such a disconnect between that and mm -hmm. like the comment section of like social media it's like they literally don't read like they don't click the article it's it's really a shame but i also feel it's kind of a sign of the times and i wonder so like for myself right like styles like i started as a as a forum um, when i left the fashion spot i was like there were some things i didn't like i was like i'm gonna start my own thing so i started as a forum then it morphed into a magazine uh, and then people kind of like the forum kind of fell by the wayside because sort of Instagram came in and kind of mm -hmm. uh, took over and then Reddit came in and and, uh, and then the magazine was like what people were responding to and everything. Uh, after the podcast started, like now I meet people, like people sometimes like someone will meet you at an event or even like in the street people be like oh your podcast is amazing and i'm like but, but, but i have this magazine over here. and it's like <laughs> so i feel like maybe also the means you know the consumption medium is changing and you know especially yeah. like with you because yeah. we all three of us right but also i know jose you have a podcast and uh mario do you pod i don't remember no, no, okay. But so, you no, know, Mario, you're right. But of course, we are all like active on Instagram. And Luke, of course, you have your YouTube. And is it like a matter of that, that it's harder, it's harder to get people just to read and they want to consume in different ways? It's tough. Um, yeah. Gotta be, because, I mean, getting myself to read is hard, so. <laughs> no, but mm -hmm. it's interesting because, you know, even when I write something new and I'm like, how how am I going to share this on Instagram and make sure people go actually and click the link, right? Mm -hmm. I'm like, I'll drop in like an interesting, like, you know, my favorite, like witty, funny sentence, or I'll drop in like, you know, I just wrote about biker core, for example, right? And I'm like, how do we get people to write, to read about this? I'm like, okay, let's make it funny, right? Throw in Lizzie McGuire in a Vespa, throw in, you know... <laughs> 
<laughs> it was, really was. That was so good. So they were like, you know, like Tom Hardy looking really that. hot in Mad Max, like little things that like that. Like and that's that's actually what gets people to read because people mm-hmm. get it and they're like, oh my god, that's so funny. And then they want to go and actually they read the article, right? And I'm like, yeah. you know, you're welcome to my editor for the for the traffic, but it's also what what if if I only post like the you know, I always post the first, like, hey, I wrote this screenshot of the article link. The amount of clicks that that gets, because you can see on your Instagram how, mu- how, many li- how many clicks your links get versus the one on the meme of Lizzie McGuire or, you know, of whatever, whatever, whatever towards the end is very different. Because at first people are like, eh, you know, and then once they start looking at all these stories and they're like laughing or they're kind of like, oh, I get the vibe. Oh, they see like a witty sentence and they're like, oh, I like that those clicks are much higher right Mm. and it's so hard to try to get people to read and i think people do have a genuine interest it's just about how you capture their attention right and i think that's why for example so many magazines have so little engagement on social media Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. because when you talk about you know us what we're posting and the way we're talking we get so much engagement because we speak a language that people Re- right. like that resonates with people you know when i'm posting lizzie mcguire in a vespa i'm not only posting it because i think it's funny or because i think it's cool i'm posting it because i know every single person that follows me has watched that movie at least once <laughs> and they get the reference and they want to laugh about it and they want to go with it right it's it's yeah. it's it's this very specific like digital language or for example you know now i'm writing for id more and then for every story that i make for every like of these like smaller stories i'm going to do a TikTok as well right Mm-hmm. So, hey, I just wrote about biker core. So now my task for this afternoon is do a TikTok about biker core, right? Mm-hmm. And it's also because of that, because like, how do you, this exists in words and paragraphs, et cetera, but how do you communicate it into this other space yeah. of people yeah. that consume through video, you know, and then it's, it's, it's hard because mm-hmm. I, I also, I don't know how to do TikTok. So that's why it's going to take me the entire afternoon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Epic. I don't have link in bio on my personal Instagram. So whenever I post an article, I have to just put a, a link, but in text. Yeah. And people are like, we can't find the link. And I'm like, I know you have to copy and paste, but it's not that hard, right? Like, yeah. I, I know it's you have to do this on the phone, but it's not that, it's not that hard. hard like you yeah. if you want if you want to read it you can like i'm not hiding it from you i want exactly. you to read it <laughs> exactly i think that's also the thing people realizing that it actually is readily available right mm-hmm. i think that's another big thing like when people like it's hard for example when i when i write for bof it's a little bit harder because bof has a paywall right right yeah, yeah so yeah. you know when i write for id it's much easier for all all of my girls to just go mm. and read Versus yeah. when I write for BOF, it has a paywall. So people are like, so it's what like is it about? open up Safari instead of Google Chrome. So exactly. <laughs> I... Exactly. You have to go into a, your incognito and then you have, you know, and then you have one article left and then, you know, like, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It just, so that's another conversation of like, how do I capture their attention enough so they actually go and read it since they yeah. have they to jump, jump through a hoops. hoop or two. Yeah, exactly. I think like in like magazines, obviously like faces conundrum also. Um, mm-hmm. So it's all about packaging, right? And like whenever we're thinking of ways to like get people to click, you know, in the traditional digital sense, it's always been about like the headline and like the image and like all those factors. Um, and then like, you know, like with what we do, it's about like, you know, like, you know, making it 
funny or making it, um, you know, digestible. Um, so it's something I think everyone faces from like publishers yeah. to content creators. Um, it's really just, I know, know man, I, this is what, uh, sorry to interrupt. This is what drives me nuts about like publications I work with. Like the title will always be different. And I'm like, no, that's not what I wanted to say. <laughs> like, and or not, I'm like, oh, yeah. biting my elbows. I'm like, all right, oh, fine. So you know what? Yeah. I know you got to drive traffic. But then because, but then I'll, sometimes I'll even say yeah. like, headline is not mine. Like that's not. <laughs> not my clown, not my circus. Right. Yeah. Well, there, there would be like, yeah. And I mean, it's always like the editor has the final say on the headline. And like, sometimes there'll be something will go viral, like on Twitter for the wrong reasons. Mm-hmm. And then the writer will get dragged because oh. of the way it was packaged. And then, but it's like, they have no control over the headline and then they'll target them instead yeah, of like yeah. the actual exactly. people on staff. Like, like, yeah, New like, York Post article headline. that was about like lesbian dressing. Lesbian. Yeah. And uh, it was like a picture of Zendaya and it was, it was a hot, hot, but <laughs> the writer was like, I wrote this to be like a nice you know, wonderful thing about like queer history and we turned it into lesbian core and it's like, yikes. Um, Got it. Yeah, 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 that's the thing. Yeah, like when I wrote my piece on like Nigo being a point for cancer, I was like, well, I just said it was good. I didn't want to say that it may have been the best appointment they've ever made because that's a stretch yeah. but i know that's gonna get the clicks oh yeah <laughs> that's a clickbait that. we live in a world of clickbait yeah and but i was you like what? fuck i do i do want to say something and it's it's and i think it's it's related to all of this um there was this bof article that eugene we were talking about the, the fashion editors and, pu- and publishers face off and amy odell has a really interesting quote there um that talks about like how social media aptitude is essential for any media job today. But it's also about how, you know, so many writers and editors today have quote unquote influence or have clout. I think clout is a more a better word on social media, right? And she she goes like, you're going to be drawn to people who have influence that's not going away. And I think that's a big part of this conversation as well, right? Mm-hmm. I think I would be foolish to think that so many of my editors, I think they want me to write as well. Not only because yes, like they like what I write, my work, et cetera, et cetera, but it's also because when I share it, it is going to drive traffic on its That's, own, right? Yeah, it yeah. has its own engagement on its own, and it's because I may have quote unquote influence or quote unquote clout or whichever way, but it is an added conversation where you're like, oh, maybe we should, you know, ask Jose to write about this because it's probably going to get like a, a solid amount of clicks, mm-hmm. you know. I think, and and that happens across the board, you know, there's so many editors and so many writers today that have actual, so much actual clout. And so then that clout comes from social media aptitude of being able to, as we're talking about, package things in a way that are enticing without being misleading. Right. Mm-hmm. And I yeah. think, you know, it's like when, when Luke, when you're, when you're selecting a thumbnail for a video and selecting your, um, your, your 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 title you know you are very strategic in, in what you put in there right everything's a roast even if it's exactly not roast. <laughs> exactly even if it's, exactly but you're still not being misleading you know oh yeah the girls are still gonna get what they thought they were getting mm-hmm. even mm-hmm. if it's not fully a roast right 
they're still yeah. going to get that. They're still going to get the laugh. They're still going to get the info, et cetera, et cetera. But that is a very specific thing. Not everyone knows how to do that properly because that's what yeah, we're yeah, talking yeah. about, right? You know, it's like that frustration that Eugene was talking about earlier, where it's like, well, that head and that deck are not what I, what I was saying, you know? It, it's a very specific skill to be able to lead people into clicking without being, without being misleading. But and I'm I think that like comes from social media. I'm also start to finish though. You guys aren't, you guys are having to go through however yeah, many different right. people yeah. that have to whatever. Whereas I have no title and I have no thumbnail until the hour before I'm supposed to post. And then mm -hmm. it's, we're just going to write whatever the fuck we're going to write. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So it's hard. I think it's harder when you're having to group think those sorts of things. And then mm -hmm. even then the group think is really the top thinks whatever they're going to, you know, think. And then that's how it's going to be. Yeah. I go back and forth on that. I, I do think in general, like, it's good that I have editors. But then, like, when I write something for Style Zeitgeist and I don't have any editors, I'm like, I can write. Like, I'll write whatever the <laughs> fuck I want. <clears throat> but sometimes I'm like, did I go overboard here? <laughs> right. Uh, but then the flip side, I'll be like, oh, you guys, like, maybe cut out sort of, like, the bite that kind of bite yeah. that I want in there. Um, so it's like, but let's talk about this article a bit. I don't know if you all got to read it, uh, fashion editors and publishers face off. And it was basically for the audience, just to retell you, it was basically about, you know, editors, journalists having their own social media following. Some of them become quite prominent and they start getting side, you know, influencer type side gigs, and some publications are fine with it and others are not. Uh, and so I wanted to get your opinion. And I think we can begin at the beginning. This, everyone in this industry with except 1% on top is underpaid. Yeah. Can we all agree on that? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Uh, and then why do we wonder that the fashion media has such low journalistic integrity. Oh, like, absolutely. If we all have to make a living, right? Because we got to start with that. Like, we can be idealistic all we want, but how do you parlay that into a job that allows you, A, to live in New York because you kind of have to be here more or less, if you yeah. really want to be engaged and it's really expensive to live here, your average fashion editor, you know, on the junior level gets 40000 a year. That's not a livable wage in New York anymore. Everyone lives in, you know, in, in Brooklyn with five roommates. And like, if we, if we're not getting paid, sufficiently how can you expect editors not to take side gigs or consult or whatever yeah it's kind of it's really unfair um and uh, like if you're on staff at a publication like a lot of the times you won't even be allowed to write for other publications if it's something that you would write at this public at your own publication so like I can't write about fashion at any other magazine, even if it, you know, might might be a nice check, might be might, might be a nice freelance check. Um, 
which that I understand, you know, cause it's like, that's like your, like your job, like, um, but then as, as far as like sponsored, like, you know, side gig hustle deals, like I've never understood that because like that can only benefit your publication. If you have, you have someone who works for you, who, you know, is a quote unquote influencer or brings something to the table in terms of like, you know, social media presence and clout, like for me, it's a win-win. So I don't understand, especially these like 40% like cuts that publishers get, like that is insane. Like that's more than like, Mm -hmm. that's more than what like talent agencies get from like, you know, like creatives or like, so like it's, it's really, there's a big disconnect there in terms of like what they publishers say they like, you know, value and retain or whatever. But then they act this way. If like an employee, you know, dares to like work with you know uh a company and promote them like it's, it's really sad like exactly. the only solution really is to like get paid a livable wage where we don't feel the need to like get these side yeah, hustles that you say is a conflict yeah. of interest like hello like pay us like eighty thousand dollars <laughs> like yeah can exactly you, can you do that period like at a minimum <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's it's another thing. Like New York Times, all those those journalists, you know, they make at least a hundred grand, if not more. Uh, in New York City, that's decent, right? Like you can you can yeah. live fine on that. And uh, I find it ironic that publications all of a sudden just, uh, <clears throat> start worrying about their integrity when it's when it's one way when it's the other way like everything we just talked about like you have no integrity you don't allow your journalist to write honestly but all of a sudden you talk about journalistic integrity when they start taking sightings yeah that doesn't make any sense yeah or like you'll have a brand pay for a cover and like (laughs) and like not disclose it (laughs) and not disclose Mm -hmm. it i mean i think disclosure is like the literally the entry level of this but it's also it's it's a one-way street right because brands are benefiting from the clout that the writers and editors have but the only reason why that clout exists is through a lot of these not necessarily just sponsored content, but a lot, but a lot of the conversation that happens on the on, on the back end of what social media is, right, and aspirational things, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So that's a big side of it, where brands are like, oh yeah, we'll hire you because you have clout, but you can't keep doing the things that give you clout. Mm-hmm. So so then, what's the trade off, right? I think that that becomes a very interesting conversation where you also have, you know big stylists and contributing editors across different publications that are like, oh, well, yeah, but I'm not on staff. I'm, I'm a contractor, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and that's why, and they're signed to like, um, they have management, right? And their managers are actually negotiating with the publications, how much you're gonna be paid, what they're gonna be able to do. And then you see these stylists do, you know, campaigns for a brand and then, oh, all of a sudden that same brand is on a cover. Wow, what happened there? You know, right. or they're like, oh, sponsored post of like said luxury jewelry or whatever. And then the same thing, you know, and that brand ends up on a cover or the story, et cetera, that they styled. So like, there's a lot of things that happen on the back end that are not disclosed. Mm-hmm. And I think that the the entry level of this conversation has to be disclosure. But then the second layer is, let's talk about how it's a one-way street where publications are willing to benefit from the cloud that these writers, stylists, editors, et cetera, may have, but are not willing to allow the, the people to continue doing what gives them cloud. 
Yeah. I yeah. have very little skin in the game. I've never worked for a publication um, outside of like a very, f- like maybe a handful of like free- freelance, um, you know, little gigs or whatever. I was looking at it from a different perspective only because I feel like there are a lot of editors that only have their social media clout because of the publications they work for, which is might be like my personal jadedness of, oh, well, like you don't complain about, you know, having the brand handle in your bio when you're all sitting front row at every show because each publication runs fucking six to eight people deep at every single collection. That brand is the only reason that you're there, Uh, you know, and Mm -hmm. it goes back to the conversation of like, uh, is everybody that works in our industry really great at their job? Are they really writing stuff that genuinely is having people click in and say, oh my God, wow, I'm so engaged. Like, you know, we look at the majority mm-hmm. of the publications that have social media. Should your social editors uh, really be at all of these events, should be receiving gifts, et cetera, et cetera, when they have, you know, 5 million followers on Instagram, but your posts have 2000 likes. Tell me that like, that's where my thing Mm -hmm. is. You can't be a, I mean, you can't my, I look at it of, it's hard for me to empathize when though a lot of those opportunities come from not personal influence, but come from the fact that you're attached to a legacy publication. So that's kind Mm -hmm. of where my thing, like if you weren't the editor of, British Vogue or the, you know, uh, editor, what do they they call it when you're the editor, but you're not really an editor, you do an editor around. Editor at large. Like you're the editor Editor at at large. What, like, what else are you, what else are you doing? Yeah. Hey man, dream job. So that's kind of my thing. I was going to (laughs) say. And it's not to like be shady to any of the girls that work in like, you know, the, the publication world, but it's a thing of like, besides the publication giving you the job what do you bring to the table outside of that because mm-hmm. having like 15k on instagram with an engagement that isn't that fucking strong like explain uh, that's my and i and i yeah. do get the whole like the underpaid yeah. thing is crazy to me is the girls are like clocking big numbers yeah. for each of those brand deals and Again, it's the suits at the top that are taking the big fat checks, yep. bonuses home every single year. But it's hard for me to be like, oh, I feel terrible because it's it's kind of a two way street. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. No, I get that. It's 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 become this kind of a race. Who's a bigger brand? Sort of like, mm-hmm. and but I also feel like editors now parallel like cultivate their brands because like the job security is so low uh the paycheck is so low uh and at the end of the day also the magazines encourage them to cultivate social media following because when they post something Mm -hmm. you know in the roundabout way it also is so it's this symbiotic relationship but it's not like a very it's also very competitive, those symbiotic. Like they need each other, but at the same time, it's everyone is looking out for their it's own. It's just interests. more public. Yeah, it's very individualistic. Like, 
they used to, you know, I mean, the thing is, I feel like the editors, even we look at like the nineties, if you write, if you wrote, had a nice byline about a brand, they're going to send you the gift. If like your name is on the masthead, they were all Mm going to send everybody the gift. So it's, you know, and you might get a little kickback for, oh, consulting fee on the side too. It's just, you didn't have to have a Instagram attached. All you had to have was the byline and the publication. Yeah, exactly. So it's just exactly. a different form of what that <laughs> and, was. Yeah, and it's more it's more public now because it used to be mm-hmm. dirty secret, but now people yeah. are like, well, we're not really getting paid, so I'm going to take that bag and, I don't know, bring it to, send it to the real, real. Yeah. <laughs> Supplement my meager paycheck. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure you all remember and historical moment eugene's gonna talk about sex in the city uh but remember that (laughs) i know remember that moment when uh, carrie brash was like oh i got vogue to raise my rate to four dollars a word and i was like oh that's how it was (laughs) yeah four dollars instead of 25 cents (laughs) i'm like good for you girl look at you go she was yeah someone offered me 50 cents a word the other day and i was gagging yeah, $4 yeah, like, a word, but those were the rates. Yeah, yeah she was mm-hmm. like, most people get $2. I'm just like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> and now most oh. people get 25 cents. 25 right? cents, exactly. Now most people get 25 cents. It's insane. I mean, I um, think like, that whatever, like, I think that's why people leave media mm-hmm. altogether. Like, once they build that following, it's like they can do what they do and like, don't have to worry about like, you know, uh blowback from you know their job or like getting uh their paychecks cut because like they realize they don't need that backing of that publication anymore they can do their own thing you know be a style blogger or whatever and still get the same benefits um just without the name attached with you know to their to their profile and i think that's why so many people just leave media altogether but then i feel like when you do that you have to have reached a certain point in your image mm-hmm. or your profile to be able to be secure enough because otherwise like you still need you know whatever salary they give you plus the deals so it just really depends on how big the fashion to tech pipeline yeah. Yeah. is yeah. real fashion Shout to, to tech. Netflix. <clears throat> yeah Hiring fashion to retail girls. so so many of my friends i listen fashion to retail I, I also like i'm a partner in the yeah. store now and that's where a majority of my income comes from. Like, I'm going to be honest, <laughs> it ain't journalism. Uh, but so yeah. many of my friends made the jump to retail because I mean, they're like, all of a sudden, I got a 100% raise. Yeah. Yeah. Ricky Vesela just went to Nordstrom. Yeah. She, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah but she, she, doesn't, she doesn't need the money. <laughs> <Let's> I mean, oh, <laughs> 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 uh, but that's like that's also a valid topic, right? Because so many people are underpaid and the industry relies so much on interns, a lot of that is rich girls. Like, you know, you have to already come from money. Ooh, let's talk about that. Let's yes. talk about that. <laughs> Mario, um, shoot your shot. <laughs> yeah, no, like that's a hundred percent. Like I think maybe that was more the case like a couple of years ago where all every internship was unpaid and you really had to know someone to get an entry-level job and that's why everyone on staff at Vogue was like from like went to like you know 
boarding school in Switzerland or like went to like Spence in New York and like has all these family connections. Um, I think now think I think I we see more of like a, a diverse like uh, makeup of like demographics on staff. Um, but I don't think that's that was like out of the kindness of publishers' hearts. I think they obviously um, are trying to be more um, you know, they don't want to get, no one wants to get called out, right? Of like mm-hmm. a white, all white staff. So I'm, <laughs> I think that's the only reason. But I mean, the the way I was able to get into this industry was just like uh, working retail in high school and saving up money and like um, having like a safety net in that sense of being able to go to New York in the summer and then turn out Harper's Bazaar unpaid, um, finding a temporary housing uh, in New York, like, I had savings, right? And like my dad like helped me sometimes. So like it's you know, it's otherwise like it's it's so hard to get a foot in the door and it still is. That's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And then that's another dirty secret in the industry that like a lot of people already come from money. And it's hard, like so yeah, you you can be passionate you can be way better than them. You can be more passionate, more knowledgeable, better skilled, uh but you just won't get those opportunities unless you're willing, I don't know, like you, you, you simply can't afford. Like, yeah. And I don't yeah. think people understand that like a lot of, even like a lot of these bloggers, like, you know, Chiara Ferragini, like she's already from a mm-hmm. wealthy family. <laughs> like it's not, you know, or uh, what's her name that self-destructed on Rachel's oh, show, um, Men Repeller. Yeah, yeah, Leandre, she's already, <laughs> like, she's already from wealthy family, you know, and uh, and that's another dirty secret that, like, people are not talking about. And yet, let's face it, you know, there are more poor people come from minorities than not. I think two things are related. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I also, I also think that if you want to get, like, a leg up starting out in, like, media or whatever like i think social media is has become so important like i know personally like i've like found a lot of like great interns or writers just through social media or just because they're they're passionate about it and you can tell through their twitter presence for example that they know what they're talking about and so i I do think that 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 wasn't the case you know a couple years ago but now it is so i do feel like in that sense there is a uh an advantage you know if you don't come from any or connections that you know you can build your presence on twitter and um people find you and like i found so many great people um mm-hmm. just like through that so yeah yeah well I, I i hope there will be more of these stories because i think that is a big problem and i think that has to change uh, um what else where else I see hope is that I see your generation is much more vocal than my generation. And I think that's wonderful. And I think probably part of it is having the platforms on which to speak to a lot of people. But even like when I speak with people of my generation, and like you can't just complain privately. Like if you don't complain, no one's going to hear you. And yes, there is a risk involved, but you have to communicate. No, it's true like what's wrong with this industry and continue to challenge it. No, it's true. For sure. It is like, it's a very, it's, 
I think the thing that people also don't realize is like the Devil Wears Prada is like that's very real. Like I don't I I know it's like funny and we it like they make it they do a really good job making it look really like fun and enjoyable and it's hard work and they're, but like people are not nice. Like it's not it's not a nice industry and you really mm-hmm. have to like grow a thick skin. Even like I was I was complaining to Jose in like February about shit. I was but I was bugging out about stuff mm-hmm. and it's that's just how it is and it's like you have to keep cool and you have you know if you're going to complain online you have to make sure that you are i always say you have to make sure that you're shooting with you know the intent to get a headshot like you never you never leave something to cap like you know just within an inch of being decapitated you make sure that that head is cut off because that shit will always come to bite you in the ass too yeah, yeah, for sure. It's funny, I about the whole, you know, sort of bitchy, patty atmosphere of fashion. That's a whole other cancer that we have to deal with. And I, yesterday I was thinking about that a lot, Luke. And I, actually, I had an idea for an article that I'm going to start later today, probably. <laughs> uh, it's really about why I'm starting to gravitate to brands that just make interesting mm. things and cool things and awesome things, but that are not necessarily like, you know, quote unquote fashion per se. Yeah. Because uh, you, you're dealing with entirely s- different set of attitudes as well. More artisans, less no, creative directors. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And less egos. Because, like, I think, like, all of us are just oh, yeah. fed up. <laughs> That's what you were saying, Mario, earlier, too. That you were just, like, fed up with all the bullshit that, like, you have to deal with. It's like no one's nice to you unless they think you can do something for them. Or it's like, like, they, they, they don't pay you no mind if you're not, like, someone they think, you know, like, in the industry or, like, I'll meet, I'll meet someone at a party and like they'll have this like attitude like what do you do like <laughs> um, yeah always like, always it's, it's the ego thing but yeah but then on the on the flip side i mean i don't know about you guys that just in, in my line of work like i'm now looking at lucien page the pr company and i'm like you guys are eating everybody's lunch and you know why novel pr concept be nice to people they just right. nice <laughs> and i'm like oh look this is new like and all of a sudden like i keep seeing every year like them getting better and better accounts and growing more and more and you know they have skip Pirelli now etc and i'm like maybe the rest of the industry should just look at that business model <laughs> there's value in being nice to people true yeah very true on that note um thank you all i really appreciate you coming on uh this was really great i want you guys to shout out your instagram websites whatever you guys want uh wherever you then all of uh, my audience encourage you to follow these guys because if anything they are hilarious and critical and unfiltered and we really need that uh, Luke, you can ahead. find me at Hot Lamode on like everything. Yeah. Easy. <laughs> Mario. Hot Lamode yes. on Twitter. Oh, yes. Thank you, Mario. I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, I'm Mario Abad on Instagram and Mario A. Abad on Twitter. Um, I am L-E-L, Jose Criales on everything. And then my podcast is called Biased. Um, available anywhere you listen mm-hmm. to podcasts. <laughs> so check it out. <laughs> Thank you. to get that plug. Yeah. Thank, Thank you. you, guys. Thank, Thank you, you so much for having us. Bye. Yeah, Talk, soon. So fun. Talk soon. Bye. You've been listening to the Style Guys podcast, hosted by Eugene Rapkin, produced by Patrick Leduc. Intro and outro music by Wesley Isolt of Cold Cave. Please support us on Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash Thank you for listening.